1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and today is a special podcast for a lot of reasons. One, because it's going to be a treat for everybody listening, but it's also a treat for me because it's some things we're going to talk about today are things that I'm working on in my personal and professional life. And so I thought, since I'm reading this great book by an outstanding author, Alan Stein Jr., he's a selling author. The book that he's coming out with is, is called Sustain Your Game. He also wrote a book, which is phenomenal, called Raise Your Game, and it's interesting how he, he wrote these, and he's going to explain to us why he wrote them in this particular order, but I think that it's very timely, which is why I asked him to be on the show. I, so, Alan, before I get into that, Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Frank. It's so great to be with you. I've been looking forward to this since we put it on the calendar.
1: Yeah, I have too, and I've been preparing, and you'll talk about that in your book a little bit. But for a little bit of background to my listeners, you were on a friend of mine's show, Ed Milet, and you did an unbelievable interview. I actually listened to it three times because there's so many nuggets in there that were so important to some you know, longer-term things that I'm working on, but also some day-to-day stuff, right? Listen to my wife once, listen to it by myself once, and then listen to it again just as a preparation for this meeting because there was so much stuff in there. But for my listeners who may not know you, your best-selling author, your keynote speaker you worked with and spent time with some of the top athletes in the world, in particular in the basketball universe, which is not my forte, but guys like Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and I know that they're elite athletes, so I'm not that disconnected to basketball, but I think it's very interesting from your, your point of view and perspective on how athletes like that and other people like Mark Cuban or Jesse Itzler, who you spend time with, how they perform and then sustain high levels of performance over time. So for my listeners, maybe just give some a little bit more color on your background. And then I want to just sort of jump right into your book, which is really sustain your game. And it really talks about managing stress, avoiding stagnation and beating burnout, right? Which is, you know, top of the list for me and in particular, maybe my wife as well. So.
0: No, for sure. This is a great place to start. So professionally speaking, It's important for your listeners to know that that basketball was my first identifiable passion. And I fell in love with the game at five years old. And I am immensely grateful that here, 40 years later, basketball is still a major pillar of my life. And I'm very thankful that I've been able to make a living and build an extraordinary life around something that I'm so passionate about. And, you know, I, I was a basketball player all the way through college. And while I was in college, I started to develop an equal love for performance training and strength, and conditioning, and nutrition, and mindset. So when I graduated college in the late 90s, I figured what could be better than combining my original love of basketball with my newfound love of performance training, and I became a basketball performance coach. And I did that for 15 years and had an unbelievable opportunity to work with and spend time with some of the best players on the planet. And then five years ago, I made a very intentional and distinct pivot to leave the basketball training space and take all of the lessons and disciplines and strategies and mindsets that I had learned from these elite level players and coaches. And I now show folks how to apply those to their business and to their life. And I primarily do that as both a keynote speaker and as an author. So I'm still very much drawing on my experiences from basketball, but I don't do any more direct training. And as far as the books are concerned, I'm always writing the book that mirrors what it is that I'm going through in my own life. So in essence, I'm writing the book that I need to read myself. And you know, you mentioned that these were things that you're continuing to work on. Well, I'm right there with you, Frank. These are all things that I'm continuing to work on. So I'm certainly not coming from a place of mastery, but as I was researching and writing both books, I was able to uncover some things that have been very, very helpful in my own life and I'm thankful to share them and the whole goal of Raise Your Game was to show folks how to reach optimal performance in their life and in their chosen vocation. And then sustain your game shows folks how they can maintain that level of performance while still finding their work very fulfilling. So that was the reason for for writing each of those books.
1: No, oh, it's great. This resonates with me. And as I as I was reading it, the book that you you advanced over to me, the online version, I'll say. What I found it fascinating was, or I guess why it was more engaging for me is because I felt like it was you talking, right? Because it was not written. Sometimes you read a book and it you can tell it's not really the person, right? Like you tell it's not really the person's words. This seemed to me, having listened to on, on the podcast and then reading the book, I'm like, wow, this is like his passion, right? I wrote a book last year called Counterpunch. It's all about sort of picking yourself off the mat. After getting knocked down, I went through a sort of a, a life altering event with me and my family about 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And sort of to your point, I wrote this book based on what I would have wanted to read at the time when I was going through what I was going through. If like, there was a book that I could read, this would. so I wrote it just to pay it forward. So I appreciate that. And this was, again, even when I was doing my homework and preparation, and you'll talk about preparation and why preparation is so important in managing stress in situations, but I just, I just kept reading and, reading and reading and reading and making more and more notes. I'm like, listen, this is going to end up being a three-hour interview, and I can't do that. So, so I like to just, I like to just jump in, and it's, it's even more timely because you start off with, with focus and really time management. So, right, so we, if you talk about managing stress and focus and time management with the financial advisor community that that I operate in, you know, we know what's going on in the market. We see what's going on in the economy. There's some stresses that are coming, coming at them. For many of them, for the first time in, in, year, in their careers, right? If, you've been, if they got into the business after 2009, 2010, they haven't seen a down market since then. And so for many of these people, it's the first time and they look at themselves as high achievers, they're successful in their own right, but all of a sudden now they're selling, seeing some challenges and maybe dealing with some stresses they haven't done before. Can you just talk about how do you see at, at high levels, these elite athletes managing different levels of stress? stress and how they use time management in particular to deal with that. Because most people don't really think that, that that actually time management equates to less stress.
0: Oh yeah. Those are intimately connected. And before we dive into that, and I'm so glad you started there, very insightful question. And, and I really appreciate all the due diligence and, and homework that you did in advance. I certainly believe you know preparation is a sign of respect. So that was very well received. Let's make sure we're all looking at this through the same lens of, of what stress is. And for me, the best definition that I've ever heard for, of stress, and this is something that caused an epiphanal change in my own life and my own perspective and philosophy, was the definition of stress by modern day philosopher Eckhart Tolle, who said stress is simply the desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment. And that really hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, he said it is the desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment, which means kind of, you know, if you read between the lines, what he's saying is stress is not actually caused by events and circumstances or economic markets or downturns or what people say or what people do. That doesn't inherently cause the stress. Our stress is caused by our resistance to those things or our perception of those things or how we internalize them. So I actually find that incredibly liberating and empowering that stress or the stress I experience in my life is not caused by these outside forces. It's caused by me, you know? So in essence, and I know this sounds like a very controversial statement, but stress is a choice. And the reason it's a choice is we do not control all of these outside factors, but we absolutely are control our response to these outside factors and the response we choose will dictate the level of stress that we feel. Now, I won't for one second argue that there are certain outside forces that make it much easier for us to choose to be stressed and to choose responses that add stress to our life. But ultimately, I believe in a concept of extreme ownership. You know, that was made famous by Navy SEAL Jocko Willink and all of his work. You know, I believe in holding myself fully accountable for my own mindset, my own perspective, and all of the decisions, habits, and behaviors I have in my life. So knowing that no matter what happens in the world, I can choose a response that is favorable and can help move me forward is very empowering and and very similar to what I said before that I'm not a master of any of this stuff. I also want to, to wave a major disclaimer and say, I'm not for one second saying that this is easy. You know, I'm not for one second saying that, that if, if you're a financial advisor in the financial services space and things have been pretty good for the last 10 years and if and when the economy has kind of a downturn, I'm not saying that your job's not going to become infinitely more difficult, that it's going to be harder to achieve the same level of success that you've had in the past. And I'm certainly not ignoring the fact that that would be your preference. What I'm saying is you don't have control over those things. So the sooner you can surrender and let go to the things you have no control over, the more focused time and energy you can put into the things that you do have control over, which is still serving your clients to the best of your ability, which is still maneuvering using your expertise and experience to make the best decision possible with the circumstances that are presented. They might not be ideal and they might not be your preference, but you can still make decisions that are in your best interest and in your client's best interest moving forward. And none of that is easy to do. But being a high performer is not easy. You know, living a very happy and fulfilled life is not easy. And certainly having a, a thriving financial advising business is not easy either.
1: So it's really what you're saying. I had previously wrote it down. And for those of you that are watching us on YouTube, whenever you see me looking down, it's because I'm taking more notes, right? So I'm getting to actually, it's almost like the audio version of the book, right? So I'm, I'm taking notes as I listen to you. So but it's almost like the stress is really about How you actually react to the given situation is what causes the increased level of stress, right? You said there's always going to be some level of stress, but it's how you react to it that can make it worse or more manageable.
0: A hundred percent. Well, so it is normal. I, I think it's part of the human condition for all of us to have preferences. I mean, I have my own sort of preferences. I would prefer that the economy is booming over being in a recession. I would prefer that the sun is shining over pouring rain. You know, I would prefer that everyone that reads my book likes it as much as you do. These are just normal preferences. The difference is I haven't attached my self-belief. I haven't attached my confidence. I haven't attached my mindset or my perspective to those preferences, which means when I don't get what it is that I prefer, which is just as often as anybody else, I don't let it dictate how I behave or how I show up. So if we do go into a recession, if it does thunderstorm and the next person that reads reads my book gives me a one star review, I don't let any of that affect how I show up and how I behave moving forward. I'll pivot accordingly. And to me, that's helped me lower my stress because before, like many people, you know, I was kind of a victim to circumstance. I was kind of a puppet to everything that was going on in the world and that would mean that when the economy's booming, the sun is out and people like my book, I feel great about myself and when those things aren't happening, then I feel lousy or I don't perform very well. And that was just too inconsistent and too much of a roller coaster to be on. So now, no matter what happens, I've surrendered to the fact that I'm not always going to get my preferences. So I just let the world do what the world's going to do and I react accordingly. I don't look through the lens, and I say this now, I used to absolutely look through this lens that these things are happening to me. You know, why is this happening to me? And why is this happening to my business? Now I simply say, these things are happening. It's completely neutral. It's completely sterile. It's completely unbiased. And now I need to be the one to adapt and to manipulate moving forward so that I can get the best result possible. And I've always been a huge believer that during times of challenge and adversity, those are the times for the biggest opportunities. And while I don't have a fraction of the financial acumen that, that you and your listeners have, I do know that, that history has proven that in times of, of massive financial adversity and challenge and in recessions and in, in economic downturns, those are some of the best opportunities for growth and to move forward and to make decisions that will serve you five, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. So you can look at some of these things as the worst thing that's ever happened to you, or you can actually welcome them as the best thing that could potentially happen to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've talked to, so I talk to advisors and if you're an advisor listening to this conversation, having gone through multiple market downturns, I would concur that the best time for the really successful advisors to acquire clients is during these types of markets. Because there are too many advisors not picking up the phone, calling their clients because they don't want you know, to get in a, not an argument, but they don't want to deal with the stress of a client being concerned about losing money. And so they, they don't call their clients. The clients get frustrated, and they look for another advisor. So that's a great analogy that you're actually bringing up, and it's how you react to the situation. And if they react to the markets the way they should react, and that is, hey, this is an opportunity for me. Let me service my clients. Got to do that first but then let me go after new clients that I maybe would not have had the chance to go get, they can end up winning in, a, in an adverse market similar to you know 2020, which we're not going to get into. But So I think that's really, really good.
0: Well, one other, one other point to that, because I, I love where you're going with this and you're, you're saying some really insightful stuff. There's nothing wrong with when you don't reach your preferences and things don't go the way that you'd like. It's okay to let that upsets you. It's okay to feel a variety of different emotions. You can feel disappointed, dejected. You can be upset, angry. There's nothing wrong with feeling those emotions. In fact, I would recommend that people do let those emotions flow through you. There's nothing wrong with feeling them. Where we just have to be careful is we can't let them dictate our behavior and we can't let right. them dictate the way that we make. Decisions. You know, I had a really good friend of mine who's the mental performance coach for the San Francisco Giants in Major League Baseball. And he said something to me that was just as profound as what Eckhart Tolle said. He said, Our emotions are designed to inform us, not direct us, which means if you were in the financial services space and we have an economic downturn and and, and possibly a recession, it's okay that that bothers you, that that upsets you, that you're disappointed or, or even angry about it. That's fine. Just don't let that dictate how you show up for your clients, how you serve your clients and the decisions that you make for your clients. Those things are completely separate. So when I don't get a, one of my preferences, if if I'm trying to speak at this big event and they choose another speaker, I allow myself to be disappointed by that. I just don't allow myself to behave accordingly moving forward. So none of us have a, a crystal ball to know exactly where we're going economically over the next year. So don't worry about trying to predict. Just simply be on the ready, you know, be ready in case there's not time to get ready so that whatever happens, you're still able to perform at a high level and add as much value and service to your clients as you can.
1: All right. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. We talk about, I think, like preparation. So for me, I haven't had a fight in a couple of years, but I used to fight. I'm a, I box. I love it. So it's my, one of my passions. And in the fights that I lost, right, I know I, when I look back at them, And I think about how I felt going into the fight and stepping into the ring. I can physically visualize it in my head, literally how I felt stepping into the ring, knowing in my heart that I didn't prepare the way I should have. Right for whatever reason, it is is what it is. I just didn't prepare. So, can you talk about how focus and preparation? Right, and then we'll sort of get into a couple other things here. But really, focus and preparation. How do you see elite athletes using that as a way to to manage the stress that they might be under, right? Because preparation is pre, but then during an, an event, so whether it's a basketball game, a football game, or a boxing match, right? You're going to be dealing with things that maybe you didn't prepare for ahead of time, or maybe you did, and maybe that's the point. But you write about that in the book under the sort of the category of, you know, perform and managing stress. How do you see that translate from professional athletes to entrepreneurs and business owners that you coach and you work with now?
0: Well, it's definitely one of the concepts and principles that has the highest utility. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're talking about boxing, basketball, or business, or anything else that starts with a B. You want to, as a mentor of mine once said, make preparation your separation. You know, preparation is a controllable factor. I'm a big believer that there's only two things in this world we have 100% control over 100% of the time, and that is our own effort and our own attitude. And I believe, because I don't want this to be a game of verbal semantics, if you take effort and attitude and you mix them together, you have preparation. You know, if you take effort and attitude, you mix them together, you have enthusiasm. You are absolutely responsible for the enthusiasm you show for everything you do in life. And you are absolutely responsible and in control of the preparation that you do for anything. I mean, look at the preparation that you put into our conversation today. And same thing for every single advisor listening to this right now. You control the level of preparation and due diligence you do before meeting with a prospective client or meeting with a current client to kind of you know reconcile and, and talk about everything they've got going on. So preparation is something we need to take a tremendous amount of pride in. You know, one of the reasons that I think, excuse me, boxing is so fascinating is it's it's an individual sport. I mean, it's just you and the other guy in the ring. So if you choose not to be fully prepared, there's a good chance that will get exposed in the ring. If you chose not to prepare yourself from a conditioning standpoint and you start to hit the proverbial wall in the third or fourth, you know, round, you've just exposed your lack of preparation. You know, if you don't know that your other, you know, your opponent in the ring, you know, has a great right hook and he catches you with it when you're not looking, that's from lack of preparation. You know, sometimes in team sports like basketball, that can be hidden a little bit because you have other guys to rely on. So if I, as a player, choose not to be as prepared as possible, I do lessen our team's chance of winning. But if one of the other guys on my team steps up, he might be able to mask my lack of preparation. I mean, I'm I'm not endorsing or condoning that, but that's a fact. In a one-on-one sport like boxing or in a one-on-one sport like financial advising, any lack of preparation that you have will get brought to the surface. So I'm a stickler for trying to over-prepare, you know, in my current role as a keynote speaker, you know, I do the same due diligence that you did for this conversation before I ever take the stage. You know, I make sure I know everything I can about the company that I'm speaking to. I know everything I can about the audience. Like what are what are their challenges and their pain points? You know, I figure out what are the things that they need from me in order to think, act, and and behave differently when I'm done talking. So a good portion of my work is done on the front end, just like boxing. You know, you might literally be in the ring for 30 minutes, but it was the weeks and the months and the hours leading up to that that dictated how well you did. Same thing for me. I'm on stage for one hour, but I put in dozens and dozens and dozens of hours of preparation to make that one hour go as well as possible. And that's ultimately what preparation is. It's it's focusing on the things that you have control over in advance to put yourself in position to be as successful as possible when the lights actually come on.
1: Right. And so for, for an advisor, knowing that they're going to probably get some phone calls as statements go out in june, excuse me which is the end of the quarter, you know your clients are going to call you with some questions, they're going to be concerned. Do your homework. You know, make sure you spend some time working on the business and understanding the client's performance, understanding what's going on in the marketplace, understanding what's going on with that particular client situation, so when they call you, you're more prepared, right? You're ready to take the shot, you're more prepared to take that right hook, but you're also going to give that client a sense of calmness that you're on top of things. But you got it, right? It's sort of like when you watch Tom Brady, I was fortunate enough as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but I'm also a Tom Brady fan. And, and we went to an Eagles game. Tampa Bay was up here. And we sat on the Buck side because I, I wanted to be able to see Tom Brady work. I didn't say play football. I wanted to see him work firsthand. And I was impressed with just how he focused and how he worked. He didn't even watch the, when the defense was on the field. He didn't even watch. Because I guess in his mind, right, he can't control what's going to happen out there. So why bother, right? But I think it's, I think people know around him how much he prepares, even at this level. And that gives the people around him a level of confidence. So that he, by his preparation, his preparation is raising their preparation up, but also gives them a level of confidence that they're going to be able to handle the situation, so. Yeah, well,
0: you just said it so perfectly. Preparation and confidence are intimately connected. And when preparation goes up, Confidence also goes up. And, you know, again, we can use any analogy you want. First, from a speaking standpoint, I go into every speaking engagement with a contingency plan for anything that could potentially go wrong. You know, anything from somebody drops a glass and it explodes to a fire alarm going off to, you know, the power cutting out and the AV stops working. I'm prepared for anything that could potentially go wrong for a talk. And that preparation helps put me at ease so that i have the confidence in knowing no matter what happens during my my keynote i'll be fine and now there's a difference between preparing and having contingency plans and worrying i don't spend two seconds worrying about any of these things i have a plan in place and i'm i'm ready same can be said in, in your world of boxing, not even just in the financial services market. You know, from a boxing standpoint, you know, I, again, I don't have that acumen that you have, but it's been, you know, from everything I've, I've read and, and studied, boxers rarely get knocked out or even knocked down from the punch they see coming. It's the punch that's unexpected that knocks them off balance. So part of that is your preparation. And that has everything to do from the tactical in the moment, you know, from your stance and your body position to understanding the tendencies of the fighter you're going up against. If you can decrease the chance that they catch you by surprise, you decrease the chance you're going to get knocked down or knocked out. And where this is so apropos to the financial world, you know, certainly we see some predictions and some markers that we are headed potentially for a downturn and maybe even a recession. So that shouldn't surprise anybody. Now's when you can be doing the heavy lifting and figuring out what is the best response for if and when that happens. How do I need to talk to my clients if and when that starts to happen and start to do some of the heavy lifting now? And then if it's not as bad as people say, then you'll just be pleasantly surprised. If it's worse than people say, you'll have at least done the prep work to help you weather that storm. So you know the key is trying to take the surprise element out of it. Now, obviously we have always lived in an uncertain world. None of us can accurately predict the future. I mean, we can't even predict later this evening, much less predict a market over the next few months. So it's not about trying to predict, it's kind of about hedging your bets and saying, Here's what looks likely or even probable. So I want to be prepared for if and when those things hit. And the ones that do that to the best are the ones that are the most successful. So I think this is the best time to be a financial advisor.
1: I think it is too. But you look at, you know, the Patriots win over the Seahawks, right? What was a classic over-preparation is Bill Belichick saying, "Let's, let's practice this one more thing, this one more situational play just in case, right? Just in case. And that's exactly what happened. And so over preparation and, and, and in those moments, I would imagine that the sidelines for the Patriots weren't stressed out. Cause they were like, Oh, we've been here, right? We've practiced this, which actually leads me to the next part of this is, and this is a big thing for me. And I think some people think it's hullabaloo or voodoo magic or whatever you want to call it, but the power of visualization, right? Because not only is it preparation, but in your preparation, when you're on stage, right? You're visualizing the entire audience. You're not just on stage, probably seeing empty seats. You're visualizing the entire audience, right? And where your speaking cues are going to be and where are you are going to look? And, you know, I do the same thing a lot in boxing, you do the same thing. You're visualizing every punch, every move, the opponent. How do you see visualization when it relates to sort of your book, right? And managing stress, and avoiding stagnation, right? And sustaining your game, right? Sustaining your game. Where do you see visualization fitting into that? And how does that help you manage stress?
0: Well, visualization is a massive part of it. From the speaking standpoint, I always arrive at least 24 hours before I speak. So usually the day before I'm going to, to be on stage. And I always make sure that I go see the room that I'll be speaking in and even stand on the stage that I'll be speaking on the night before. I do a full dress rehearsal. So yeah, I'm literally going through my talk, you know, when the audience and the chairs are empty, but I'm getting a feel for everything because that will then allow me to visualize both consciously and subconsciously leading up to the next day when, when the cameras are rolling and the lights are on and their butts in the seats. And that gives me a tremendous amount of confidence because now I'm kind of at peace and knowing, okay, here's kind of the layout of the room. Here's how big the stage is. Here's where some of the lights will be. You know, I'm going through the contingency plan of if some of these things were to happen, how will I be able to adapt? And it helps me take some of that guesswork out of what's the room going to look like or how the room's going to feel. The other part where visualization is so powerful is the future only exists in our mind and in language. Like, think about it. You can never be in the future outside of mind and language. The only place you can ever be is where you are right now in the moment. And also, the future is 100% hypothetical you know, none of us knows exactly what's going to happen. Now, there are some probabilities and and I think we can be at peace at knowing certain things may be expected to happen, but everything is 100% hypothetical. So, part of my visualization is if everything is hypothetical anyway, I try to visualize things working out in my favor. I try to visualize myself giving that killer keynote and getting the standing ovation. You know, if I was a boxer like you, I would visualize hitting the guy right between the eyes and knocking him out or, or moving out of the way of a punch. Like you might as well visualize things working out in your favor because it's all hypothetical. What most people tend to do is they tend to think worst case scenario and they tend to think about everything that they don't want to happen. And they're putting all of their energy and all of their focus into what they don't want to happen. And I don't find that that's one very empowering or very helpful. I also don't think that leads to higher performance. So, this is not about living in a fantasy land. This is about saying, I'm going to do my due diligence and adequately prepare. I'm going to turn over every stone to make sure that tomorrow when I take the stage or tomorrow when I get in that ring, I've put myself in a position to be as successful as possible and I'm going to visualize that that's actually what's going to happen. That my my preparation and my hard work is going to pay off. And financial advisors can do the exact same thing. Visualize- the meeting you're going to have with either a prospective client or a current client. Visualize and, and ask yourself what are some of the, the challenges or objections or, or fears that they're going to bring to the table? And visualize yourself comforting them and putting them at ease because you've put together a strategy that's going to help them weather this difficult time. Like, do as much of that in advance as you can. And when you do that, that means when it's actually game time. When I'm on stage, when you're in the ring or someone's sitting across the table from a client, then all you have to focus on is being present. You don't have to worry about anything else because you've done all of the hard work in advance.
1: Right. You talk about this in your book about, and your experiences with athletes, the game slows down for you, right? Because you visualize it. You've already seen that situation in your mind. And so it slows down. And by, by having the game, whatever game it is you're in, right? Slow down, your blood pressure probably slows down. You can perform at a higher level because you've seen that situation. And so you know what winning, right, in your mind, you, you know what winning feels like. And you talk later on in the book about, we won't necessarily get into it, but talk about sort of the power of positivity and attracting, thinking positively is going to attract a positive result. If you think and visualize negatively, that's probably what you're going to get, right? So, I think that that's really, really important, and I think that in our space, a lot of advisors don't necessarily understand the power of visualization as it relates to talking with clients, because in their mind, well, how can I visualize talking to my client? Well, visualize it. Visualize you answering the phone. Visualize the conversation, to your point, what they're going to be probably thinking right now, and put yourself in their shoes, and what's going to be the best response So that when you hang up the phone, you can visualize your client talking to their spouse or something of another about, well, that was a really good phone call. You know, Frank really addressed my issues and he was, clearly he's paying attention to our account and I feel much better.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And that's ultimately your job as a financial advisor is not only to make wise and strategic economic decisions and financial decisions, but you're also there to help comfort. And you help comfort people through empathy and compassion by being fully prepared. I mean, if I was one of your financial clients, I would feel a thousand times better when we sat down that you've already given all of this some thought and you've already started to prescribe strategies to move forward to help me and my financial well-being. And and leading with that empathy and compassion and making it a priority to help comfort somebody else is vital, and that's a big part of the role. I mean, you know, you guys in the financial services space, yeah, it's certainly numbers driven. But you are in the people business. You are in yeah. the relationship business. And ultimately, if two people have the same financial acumen, but one of them has much better soft skills and people skills, and much higher empathy and compassion, you're going to outproduce tenfold. I mean, your your business will be ten x
1: what the next guy's
0: is. So I see it yeah, all the time. Those are really important.
1: So. Keeping your hands on the wheel. I want to talk about that for a second, right? One of the favorite quotes in this chapter is probably one of my top quotes because I think it's so, I'm a very simple guy, right? So I like simple quotes. If nothing changes, nothing changes. Talk about what that means because I think that's so, that's so profound, but so simple. Well, yeah,
0: keeping your hands on the wheels, in essence, just saying don't give your power away. Don't let anybody else kind of steer or direct your life, that you're not in control of necessarily where the road's headed or any obstacles that may be put in the road, but you absolutely can control your ability to steer and avoid or or move around them. And part of that is the ability to embrace change. And yeah, I'm a huge believer that if nothing changes, nothing changes, that if you keep doing what you've been doing, you will keep getting what you've been getting. If you don't like what you've been getting, you need to change what you've been doing. Now, there are two types of change that we have to be aware of. The first is imposed change. That is change coming from the outside that we don't have any control over. A perfect example of that is a two plus year global pandemic. But another example of that, would be if we do go into a recession and there's an economic downturn. That is change that is forced upon us that we have no control over. And we've already discussed that in that case, we need to change our response to best navigate that. But then the other side of change is is more of what we're leaning towards is initiated change, is change that we choose to make, we volunteer to make, to say, hey, you know, this is what I've been doing and this is how I've been producing. If I want to increase my outputs, then I need to increase and level up my inputs. You know, if if you're looking to make any change, I mean, again, let's go back to boxing. You know, if you're looking to get yourself in in fighting shape and to be in the best condition possible, well, then you most likely have to make some tweaks to your workout regimen, to your diet, probably to your sleep, to some of your post-recovery methods, like if for the next six months, you need to amp up your training to get in the best physical shape possible, well, you have to change what you were doing so that you can change what you'll be getting. And it's the same thing in any area, financial advising, you know, if the markets- have I was been going to use that
1: fantastic. as an example. I was going to use that as an example. I want to jump in here because I don't want to miss this thought because it's, a, it's really poignant for what we do here for a living where we help advisors move firms, right? One firm to another. And we- sh- so often, too often, talk to an advisor who hates where they work, they want to complain about their manager, the compliance is awful, this, that, and the other thing, but they don't leave and they don't want to change. It's like, if nothing changes, nothing's going to change. Like if you don't want to make the move, then stop complaining about your branch manager. Stop complaining about the imp- compliance because by staying there, you're accepting what's happening. And then it's, you know, then they're, then they hate what they do, right? Then this burnout comes in because they're, they're burned out from fighting compliance. Well, then move like change.
0: Absolutely. And, And they need to lean into that initiated change. I'm with you 100%. And when you lean into initiated change, that goes back to keeping your hands on the wheel. You're the one that's, that's deciding where you're going. And if you decide that working at another firm would be more fulfilling and enjoyable, then it does take courage to make that change. I mean, I'm not saying for one second that any type of initiated change is easy to deal with. I mean, the reason people keep going through the same motions and stay on that hedonic treadmill and keep treading water, and that's because that consistency on some level provides them comfort. They know exactly what they're going to get staying where they are. Now, they might not like where they are, but they actually like that consistency. And the fear of doing something different, the fear of shaking things up and the fear of leaving where you are and stepping into the unknown is usually what keeps people stuck. But staying stuck and then adding to that, blaming, complaining, and making excuses, a trilogy of behaviors that doesn't ever serve you or help you is, yeah, is why someone can get caught there and not living their best life. So obviously you and I are both advocates of making the leap and taking the requisite courage to make those changes. Change is never easy, but it is a prerequisite to getting what it is that you want.
1: So I want to jump up to the next section here because I want to make sure we cover some, some things that I think are really important in here, which is engaging in a process, right? Sort of the, what I have found is really successful, whether it's business owners and you can confirm what, you know, athletes, it's not necessarily the end, the end goal the target goal that drives them, right? It's the process which they, they go through to get there. And you talk about, there's no stairway, right? When, what do I need to do now? So maybe talk about how sticking to a process, whatever that process is, how that helps us, helps me, or I'm working on that right now. I try to, my morning routine needs to be better. My, my evenings need to be better. I need to have a better process when I, before I go to bed and blah, blah, all that stuff. But how do you see that elite athletes and business owners, how do you see them using process and sticking to a process to avoid this proverbial burnout that we all face?
0: I do believe having a goal is helpful because it it provides some clarity and it helps provide direction. So if if your goal is, you know, I I want to provide, you know, the best retirement plan for one of my clients or six months from now, I want to be in the best shape possible when I step into the ring to to fight somebody. Either one of those goals I think is good to have. It, It points you in the right direction. But once you've set that goal, then I think you can just go ahead and put it on the shelf and you don't need to worry about that goal anymore. What you need to do is shift your focus to the daily behaviors and mindsets and habits and rituals and routines the process of what it will take to increase the chance that you'll reach that goal. So figuring out, you know, what is the best morning and evening routine that allows me to be my best? What are the things that I need to do daily, weekly, and monthly to inch me closer to reaching that goal? And that's what you need to commit to. And when you can learn to respect and trust and really appreciate the process, when you get to the point where you love the work then the result ends up just being a byproduct of that. I mean, the beautiful part is you've already won in advance. So of course, if you're going to be boxing someone six months from now, you'd prefer to win. We already know that. It doesn't even need to be said. But when you can get to the point that you actually embrace and enjoy the training, when you love the discipline of of eating and going to bed early and waking up and working out and doing everything that an elite level boxer does, when you find enjoyment in that, You've already won. It doesn't even matter what happens in the ring. You're already doing something that you find meaningful and you enjoy doing. Now, if you do that training to the best of your ability, and it leads to knocking the other guy out and the the referee raising your hand when the the fight is over, that's just the cherry on top. That's just the bonus. The problem is too many people, they attach their achievement and their accolades to their self-worth. So if you get to the point where you say, the only way I'll feel good about myself is if I win the fight, that's a slippery slope because there's so much that goes on during a boxing match that you don't have control over. You know, one could argue 50% of what goes on, you don't have control over because it's what the other guy's doing. Same thing from, a re- you know, helping someone plan for retirement. You can apply strategies and systems and processes, but you don't control the market. So ultimately, if someone says their entire happiness hinges on having this much money on this date, once again, you've now given your power away. You've taken your hands off the wheel because you're saying, I'm going to let my happiness and fulfillment hinge on something I don't have control over. Whereas if you say, I'm going to follow this prudent financial advice and here are the decisions I'm going to make financially daily, weekly, and monthly. And over time, I'm going to work closer to this ultimate goal if you take pride in that, then once again, you've already won before you started. And that's, that's the approach that I try to take to help continue to find meaning in the work. See, if you only find meaning in the outcome, but you don't find meaning in the process or the work, I don't know. I, I just think that's, that's a really dangerous…
1: dangerous. So, it's really interesting. So, I know this will be leads right into my last question because we're running short on time because we could go for a lot longer than this. So, I, I apologize to our listeners. I'll have to have you on again. In our world, my wife was asking me over the weekend, you know, you seem like you have all this energy and you keep going, 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 and I'm worried you're gonna get burned out, right? You have to learn how to relax. And I was trying to explain to her how my passion for helping our financial advisors make a move and doing it the right way and getting the right advice is really what drives me. The actual move itself is almost anticlimactic for me, right? Because it was the relationship and the engagement and talking to them and helping them and educating them That was like what drives me. And then like, oh, they move. Oh, okay. You know, I lose that relationship, right? But so I have the sense of purpose. But the last part of your book, which is really chapter 14 and 15, right, is this whole, you know, work, rest, you know, combination. And my question to you is really a personal question is how do you manage when you're so driven by purpose with whatever it is, you know, Michael Jordan doing his thing and Kobe and all that. How do you, how do you marry and you're probably not going to be able to answer this question in, in, in 10 minutes, but how do you marry and balance that rest part with a burning desire of purpose?
0: It does take some discipline and it does take belief in knowing that those things are connected. They're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. And, and this goes back to, you know, sports and athletics, whether it's basketball or boxing. You know, if you're training for a, a fight coming up, you can't train eight hours a day, as hard as possible, seven days a week, you will burn yourself out physically. You will actually show up in that ring weaker than if you said, I'm going to take one or two days off per week. I'm going to take one or two hours off per day or in between sessions or what, like you have to build that in, you know, athletes have it intuitively. If we look at like the NBA season at the end of the season, Players have a very distinct off season for a couple of months where they can voluntarily and, and wisely get away from the game, let their mind and body heal, relax, take vacation, spend time with their, their loved ones. And then they can start ramping back up as they get to the preseason mode. And then obviously the in season is, is where they earn their real money, but it's kind of built in. We don't really have that when we work in the real world or we work in, in corporate America or in the financial services. 24 know, 7. <laughs> it is. So that's why we have to be disciplined to put that in. We have to be disciplined enough to say, look, you know, I'm going to be there for my clients six days a week. That's more than ample. You know, I'm going to unplug and untether for my devices one day a week. You know, once a month, I'm going to take a three day weekend and spend time with with my family. And I'm going to let my clients know in advance. Like I'm not leaving you on an Island, but I'm going away for three days. And unless your hair is on fire, please don't contact me. I'll be back in the office Monday morning and I'll handle whatever you need then. You know, make sure you take a week or two of vacation when it's appropriate. And and everyone can do this on a level that's best fitting for them. I do know for some people, untethering for an entire week and digitally detoxing would probably give them more anxiety than more rest. So everyone needs to figure that recipe out. But bottom line is you have to be willing to admit and acknowledge that putting your foot on the gas 24-7, 365 is simply not sustainable, and you will burn yourself out. And you're not doing your clients a service when you burn yourself out. So, not only will it make your own life less fulfilling, but you're not actually able to show up as your best self for those that you serve. So, your clients should be thankful that you take one day off per week or a three-day weekend per month or a a little vacation each quarter or year, because that's what allows you to rest and rejuvenate and build back to be your best self. And, And if you can have the discipline to do that and you do find immense purpose, as you said, and meaning in the work you do, then you're really not at risk at burnout. Burnout stems from a misalignment between the hours we work and the meaning we find in our work. So there's nothing wrong with working a 60-hour week as long as you love the work you're doing and you pad in some rest and recovery around those 60 hours. You're not really at risk at burnout.
1: All right, My wife will love that statement. So we'll, we'll close out on that statement. She's going to say, you see, I told you so. That's okay. That's okay. So listen, that was great. We are tight on time. I really appreciate this. It's an awesome book for everyone listening. When it comes out, where, you know, where can they go to get it? you have a website that they can go to to find out more about, about you and your services? For you know, many of the firms that we talk to, want to, they're looking for a performance coach, myself included. Where do we go to find your information?
0: Oh, no, I appreciate that. This was so much fun. You asked some really great questions and I, I really enjoyed our conversation. From a speaking standpoint, if anyone feels like I'd be the right fit to come talk to your firm, you can go to Allenstein Jr. Dot com for everything else that I offer, which is I have a, a small roster of individual clients that I coach one-on-one. I have a podcast. I have the books that you mentioned, and I even have an online course. You can go to strongerteam.com and find all the supplemental materials. And then I'm very easily found on social media at Allen Stein Jr. on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I take a tremendous amount of pride in not only being accessible, but also being very responsive, so if anything in this conversation struck a chord or someone has a question to ask or something they want to share, just shoot me a DM on, on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm very good about getting back to people.
1: Yeah, look, I can attest to that. After the interview with that, I was like, oh man, I should have him on my show. And I DM'd you and you got right back to me. You know, it was, it was great. And I really appreciate that because we're all really busy. And so to be attentive like that, it means a lot. Alan, I, listen, I really, I, I really appreciate this. I feel like I, I'm wanting more because I couldn't read the whole book, right? Because I I couldn't print it out because it was it's a it's a pre-release, so I'm gonna keep reading the whole book because there's so many nuggets for the listeners. I've read a lot of the book, and I had to even skim it over, and there was a, and there was a lot, so I can't wait for it to come out. Raise your game is another is another great book. I can't wait to put that on my roster, and maybe I'll have you talk to my team because I think it's these types of things right now avoiding burnout stagnation and being able to sustain your game and manage stress are huge things in our society right now and this is a this is a great book and i appreciate you paying it forward and really writing something that you're working on i'm working on it too as well so but thank you very much i really uh really appreciate you coming on i was really excited about this as you can tell i might even put on a dress shirt usually i wear a t- uh, you know golf shirt so but i wanted to make sure i, I respected your time and your and uh, your desire to be on our, our show so thank you very much and Good luck on the book.
0: My pleasure. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com
1: slash podcasts.